Again, church, glad to have you here this morning. Uh, met a guy from our my home church out in, in California. Uh, actually, well, we're neighbors uh, in uh, Calvary Chapel Field, and I and I was Calvary Chapel High Desert. And uh, it's just great. You start talking to people, and you go, "Your name sounds familiar. Did you go where? Yeah." And then you find we have a connection. It's great. <laughs> About two months ago, I realized I had a cousin here that that we were related to, and so that was kind of uh, <laughs> fun. Anyway. Glad you're here this morning. We are going to continue our study through the book of Second Peter. We are in chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 5 through 11. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand and George will bring one to your seat so you can follow along with us. Second Peter chapter 1, verses 5 through 11 this morning. Anybody need a Bible? It's all good? Awesome. You know, there are churches where people don't bring their Bibles to church. Isn't that crazy? I mean, they don't even open the Bible at some churches. All right, quit talking, Tom. Let's get to the study. Second Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 5, Peter writes, But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and a brotherly kindness love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For you who lack these things is short-sighted, even to blindness, and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The title of my message this morning is Spiritual Supplements for Spiritual Growth. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time that we can spend together in your word. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that as we study your word, you have something to, to say to each one of us. You illuminate to us verses and, and, and words Lord, that really affect our lives individually and, and as the church as a whole. <clears throat> Excuse me. We pray, Lord, that uh, Lord, we would be open to receive all that you have for us this morning. And Father, I do pray that if there's anyone here that is yet to surrender their heart and life to you, Lord, that they would come to know you as their Lord and Savior today, this morning, that they would turn from their sin and turn to you today. Lord, we thank you for this time together. We pray that you'd bless our time. We commit it to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We live in a culture that's obsessed with being in good shape. You know, we, we exercise regularly. We try to eat the right foods. We, we diet to lose weight. You know, we, we diet and exercise. That's what the doctors tell us. You know, you want to stay in shape. Diet and exercise. And often people will take supplements. You know, when they're working out, they make these, these supplements to take and, and they're filled with vitamins and minerals so we can stay strong. Well, I found some supplements, some weird ones that are filled with other things that, that I don't know if it's that good for your body. Let me give you a few of these. This one you get, uh, it's a supplement called Scaly Anteater Scales. What it says there is that it's a Pangolian mammal used for everything from aiding rheumatism to promoting lactation, bottled and crushed for oral administration. <clears throat> no, thank you. How about this one? Fox lungs. Listen to its description. Animal organ, England, used to treat asthma and bronchitis, made into syrup alongside various roots, seeds, and plants. Sound good? How about this one? Bear bile. That's it. 
animal extract, traditional Chinese medicine used for gallstones and gallbladder issues. My question is, who extracts it? (laughs) Same for this next one. Flying squirrel feces. Animal byproduct, traditional Chinese medicine to invigorate vessels and help with stomach and abdominal issues. Consumed raw, cooked or steeped depending on symptoms. I don't think so. I'm pretty much going to take a pass on all those. Now, with that said, there are some good supplements that people take that are actually good for you. And it enables you to, to, to live strong, healthy lives, to have strong, healthy bodies. We think of, of nothing to take uh, supplements to strengthen our lives physically. But what do we take to strengthen our lives spiritually? If I want to grow as a Christian, I need to be serious about having the right things in my spiritual diet. What supplements do you take to help you grow spiritually? Well, this morning, if you're taking note, Peter is going to point out seven of them that we can apply in our lives, that we can put into our lives, seven spiritual supplements for spiritual growth. Now, when we come to faith in Christ, the Lord gives us the strength to live godly life, lives pleasing to Him. We get that as soon as we're born again. Because according to verse 3, as we looked at last time, He has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who has called us by glory and virtue. And we looked at last time that the Lord has given us purpose. He's given us power. He's given us uh, precious promises. We have purpose to share the gospel and to live for Christ as long as we're on this earth. We have power, the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives to accomplish that. We have God's word, his precious promises found in his word to live by. But then Peter adds, take note in verse 5, he says, But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith. That phrase, giving all diligence, has the idea of making an effort. Taking your walk seriously with the Lord, making it a priority. Why? Because of all that God has done for me, now I want to do for Him. I want to give, put forth, I want to put forth my very best effort. My very best for Him. That's why Peter says here, add to your faith. Now you may ask, well, how can I add to my faith if I've already been given everything we need for life and for godliness? Well, actually that word add there means to supplement or to lavishly supply to your faith. In other words, it means to to not hold anything back. It was actually used when a Greek play was being put together. There would be this financial backer, someone who would, you know, fund the production. So the budget would be set for the musicians and actors and singers, and they were paid based upon that budget. But here's where the word ad would come in. A generous backer would come alongside and say, here, take this and lavishly supply whatever is necessary for the production. Now understand, our Lord is that generous backer. He is a supplier of all these supplements. And He has unlimited supply. And now He says, take these resources that you've been given and use them lavishly to go along with your faith. It's like this for some of you single ladies that are, are you know, maybe getting married and, and your dad is going to pay for the reception and pay for the honeymoon. But your dad also happens to be billionaire Elon Musk and, and he says to you, sweetie, because I love you so much, you do whatever you want for your reception. You do whatever you want for your honeymoon. It's all on me. You know, hold back no expense. Listen, with a dad like that, you're not going to go to the dollar store to find table decorations. 
Your reception isn't going to be at the VFW Hall, as nice as that is. Why? Because dad is going to lavishly supply what you need from his bank account. In the same way, you're not going to go down to Motel 6 down in Branson for your honeymoon, even though they'll keep the light on for you. No, you'll be going to some all-exclusive resort for your honeymoon. Maybe a hotel on the moon flown there in an electric rocket ship if it's Elon Musk. I don't know. But my point is, Dad has made all of that available to you, and he wants you to use it. In the same way, all you have to do is use what God has already supplied for you. Another way of looking at it is like this. Let's say you go to the doctor and the doctor says, well, I've examined you and it doesn't look good. Here's the diagnosis. You require surgery. I'm going to perform the surgery and then afterwards I'm going to give you some medications to help with the post-op in, in your healing. So the doctor has done it all. He's di- diagnosed your, your, the cause, what's going on. He performs the surgery and he gives you the medication. You haven't helped in any of the process so far. You don't they tell the doctor, hey, you know, you know give me a scalpel because I want to help. I'll, you do one thing, I'll do the other. You know, it would be foolish. You're not going to do that. So though he provides everything that you need, you still have the responsibility for post-op. You have to do by taking the medication and following his instructions. Yeah, you've got to take the medications he's prescribed for you. That's what Peter is talking about here. We've been saved by faith alone. But faith needs to be nourished for it to grow strong. Like a bodybuilder, to grow muscle, workouts are necessary. They're, they're, they're mandatory. But you, you do get more from a workout when you add these supplements. Again, the same is true for our relationship with God. It's all by faith. But faith grows by adding seven spiritual supplements that God has lavishly supplied for us. And the very first thing on his list right here to lavishly supply to our faith is that of virtue. Look at verse 5. He says, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. Virtue is a rare word. I found it used in all sorts of ways. It means moral excellence, courageous. It's a noble term, meaning heroism or, or moral heroism. It's a quality of someone's life which makes them stand out as excellent. In classical times, the word meant the God-given ability to perform heroic deeds. In other words, you're a superhero of morality. You're a moral excellent man. Yeah, I don't know, you wear a cape. Or moral excellence woman, able to resist immorality in one single bound. I mean, what do superheroes all have in common? Some super strength that no one else has. Peter's saying, God has given you a superpower. It's moral excellence. So use it. This means that the darkness of our culture that is all around us, it's in the movies, it's on TV, it's on the internet, and song lyrics, uh, even the questionable jokes people say at work, they should have no place in our lives. In a world that, if we're not there already, is quickly becoming as immoral as Sodom and Gomorrah, God has given us everything we need to live in moral excellence. It's also worth noting that this word virtue is active. It means we're always ready to stand up for what is right, always ready to stand against what is wrong. Superman stood for truth, justice, and the American way. I think we could stand for truth, justice, and the moral way, a moral excellent way. Now, number one, add virtue. Next supplement Peter says we need to add is knowledge. Again, verse 5, for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue to virtue, knowledge. Lord is saying here, I've given you faith, 
I've given you virtue. Now I'm giving you the ability to attain knowledge. That word knowledge refers to insight and understanding. Now, why are we to add virtue before knowledge? Because they're, they're in a certain order here. And here's the reason. If my mind is cluttered with pornography, if my mind is cluttered with violence from movies, song lyrics that speak of vile things, then I'm not going to be able to receive knowledge about life from the Word of God because I've filled my life with the junk food of this world. And what happens when you fill up on junk food? You get sluggish, right? You don't want to do anything at all. You know, instead of taking vitamin supplements, you fill up on Twinkies and Ho-Hos and peanut butter cookies and Andes. And I'm not saying the things of this world aren't appealing, nor are they all bad. I mean, you got Andes. But, 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 <laughs> but some, when taken in excess, do lead to heart attacks and, spiritually speaking, to heartaches. Because you're no longer living a spirit-filled life, a powerful life going into knowledge of the Lord, but instead you've allowed yourself to get out of shape spiritually. You're no longer expecting new things from the Lord. And it's just one old story after another old story about what God did years ago in your life, but never anything new that God is doing right now in your life. Why? Because you're not where you should be. You see, moral excellence or virtue is that which makes room for us to take in the Word of God and gain knowledge of the Lord so we can experience the Lord powerfully in our lives every single moment of every single day. The knowledge spoken of here is a practical wisdom from God's Word to deal with every day-to-day issue in life. In context here, it means you're cooperating with God by following His wisdom rather than the wisdom of the world. But the only way to do that is by doing away with those things in the world and involved with those things of the world. So we have virtue, number one. Number two, we have knowledge. Well, then the third supplement we we see, uh, really the next two supplements, Peter says we need in verse six, to knowledge, self-control, to self-control, perseverance. Two very important inward characteristics that we need to to supplement in our lives, to to apply to our lives. First is self-control. I like the way one person defines self-control. It's the capacity to break a chocolate bar into four pieces with your bare hands and then just eat one of the pieces. <laughs> it's like this story. I've shared it before, but, but, but it fits and it's funny. It's about a man observing a woman in the grocery store with a three-year-old girl in her basket. As they pass the cookie section, the child asks for cookies and her mother tells her No. The little girl immediately begins to whine and fuss, and the mother says quietly, Now, Ellen, we just have a half of, a, of an aisle to go, of the aisle to go through. Don't be upset. It won't be long. Well, the man passed the mother again in the candy aisle. And, of course, the little girl began to shout for candy. When she was told she couldn't have any, she began to cry. Mother said, There, there, Ellen, only two more aisles to go, and then we'll be checking out. The man happened to be behind the pair at the checkout. When the little girl immediately began to cry for gum and burst into a terrible tantrum upon discovering there would be no gum purchased today. Well, the mother patiently said, Ellen, we'll be through the checkout stand in five minutes, and then you can go home and have a nice nap. Well, the man followed them out to the parking lot and stopped the woman to compliment her. I couldn't help but notice how patient you were with little Ellen. The mother broke in, my little girl's name is Tammy. I'm Ellen. Just one more aisle, Ellen. Just one more aisle. 
For those of you that have three-year-olds, you know that story is true. <laughs> Listen, when it comes to self-control, we're told in Proverbs 25, 28, whoever has no rule over his own spirit is like a city broken down without walls. Like a city broken down without walls. If you don't have self-control, you know, there's no walls. Proverbs 16, 13 puts it in a, in a more positive way. Righteous lips are the delight of kings, and they love him who speaks what is right. So self-control, what does that mean? Well, in the Greek, the word means to hold oneself together. It speaks of an athlete who would say no to eating certain kinds of foods that were bad for him, and yes to, to certain kinds of training because he wants to win the race. It means to hold the desires and passions of our, of our flesh under control. Now, why is self-control to be added to knowledge? Because as I gain knowledge... If I'm not very careful, I will begin to say, now that I have this knowledge about this, I can handle it. In fact, I can handle anything because I know. Be careful. Be careful. Pastor John Corson tells a story about a dear pastor friend of his who had been mightily used by the Lord but began to say, my studies have convinced me that Jesus drank alcohol. And then he went on to develop an extensive argument for why Christians should be able to drink. This led him and his wife to wine-tasting events, which led to nightclubs, which led to dancing with other people, which led to a divorce. John Corson writes, In the name of knowledge, this dear brother sacrificed temperance and lost his family and ministry as a result. See, Peter here warns us that as we add knowledge, we must be sure that we don't get so caught up in that knowledge that we become a know-it-all. And think that we can handle anything, you know. And then we have, we have the liberty to indulge in certain things that we can now handle because, uh, you know, we know. But they'll ultimately destroy us. Listen, it doesn't matter how long you've walked with the Lord. And even though we are born again, even though we have that new nature within us, as long as we are in this, these bodies, we're going to struggle. We're going to wrestle with our flesh. We're going to wrestle with that old nature. And on top of that, because our adversary, the devil, is out to get us, he's going to constantly use things in this world to appeal to that old nature, to to appeal to our flesh every chance he gets. Satan would like nothing less than to see you and I get out of control as a Christian. And he does things just to provoke that in us. But remember, we're told already, God has given us everything we need for life and godliness. He has given us, through the power of the Holy Spirit, to not lose control. It's already been given to us. It's ours. He's given us the new nature, one under the control and leading of the Holy Spirit that is in direct opposition to our old sinful nature. So how do we gain control over our flesh and over our old nature? Well, Paul tells us in Colossians 3, 5, to put to death your members which are on the earth. We're to die to ourselves. Daily. And live in complete submission to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. I like Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. It means putting yourself to death, wholly acceptable to God, he says, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. See, that's what the Holy Spirit is seeking to work into our lives. To show us how to live our lives marked by not only self-control, but joy and and stability and and virtue and perseverance. 
And that's the next virtue we need to lavishly apply, the next supplement we need to implement. Number four is perseverance. The word perseverance means patient endurance. You know, one of the things that you learn pretty quickly after you give your life to Christ is that there's no shortcuts to spiritual growth. In the same way, you don't get strong physically by just deciding to work out for a day. All you do is get sore for the next three or four days. For some of us, weeks afterwards. But <laughs> Now, if you want to get stronger physically, you have to be disciplined to keep working out even though you're sore. Same way, you don't get strong spiritually by just coming to church one day. You know, oh, I think I'm going to go to church. I should get strong. No, no, it doesn't happen overnight. You need to put the time in. You need to put the, the work in. There's no such thing as fast food Christianity. I think we can look at someone who we admire in the Lord, and we you can't, you know, can want to be like them. But we forget that it takes work. It takes discipline. It takes time. Perhaps some of you maybe have heard of Doyle Dykes. He is an incredible guitarist, absolutely incredible. I would love to get him out here to, to play for us. Very, very talented. Well, one of his shows I was at, he, he recalled the story of a woman who came up to him after the show and said, man, that was just incredible. I wish so much that I could play the guitar like you did. What's your secret? It's a secret? Secret? And he motioned her to come close. He says, here's the secret. Practice. And practice some more. And practice some more. No one just picks up a guitar for the first time and plays like Doyle Dykes. Or, or Pastor Bruce here at the church, you know. He just didn't decide to learn Greek and Hebrew last year so he can teach it to us on Monday and Tuesday nights. He's been studying the language for years. In the same way, you can't expect to have the same knowledge by attending one of his Greek classes. It doesn't come quickly. For some of us, it doesn't come quickly at all, but... That's so why I'm thankful for my computer, a little right click, and I get the Greek word right there in the computer and I'm done. But, but anyway, the, the problem in our culture today is we want everything right now. And if we don't get it right now, then we bail, we quit. And the sad thing is we do the same thing spiritually. You know, maybe you, you make that commitment. You know, maybe it's at the first day, I'm going to go to men's and women's study. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be there at the GO team that first Friday of every month. I'm going to be a part of that. Or I'm going to be there at church every Wednesday night. I'm going to be there. And, and so you, you made it. You got the first month down. And then all of a sudden, it's like you missed it and, and you missed that. And what is lacking is, is that, that supplement of perseverance. This word perseverance is the Greek word hupomone. It's where we get our English word spumoni from. It means to wait for ice cream. And, and, no, it doesn't mean. In fact, this word hupomoni, it, it means patient endurance. Patient endurance. Same word that we find in Hebrews chapter 12 describing Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. The word endured is that same word hupomoni. It, it describes on the passive, barely making an endurance, but a conquering, victorious endurance. That's what Jesus was doing at the cross of Calvary. Jesus conquered death. He conquered the grave and he conquered sin. He patiently endured the cross. He persevered. Why? Because of the joy that was set before him. That joy that was set before him is you, is me. It's us in heaven with him. That joy that was set before him is seeing many people saved because of what he would accomplish through his death on the cross. That's why we need to clothe ourselves with that patient endurance and perseverance because we know what is on the other side of life. 
You could say that the joy that is set before us, we should endure hardships as we face this life. We need to always keep that in the forefront of our minds. And then believe Galatians 6, 9, that let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Now, number five of our supplements, Peter says in verse 6, add to perseverance, number five, godliness. Godliness simply means God-likeness. In the original Greek, the word meant to worship well. It describes a person who worships well the Lord God. It's someone who's walking right in their relationship with God. Perhaps the word reverence comes closer to defining this term. It's that that quality of inner character that causes a person to live above the petty things of this life. You know, the passions and the pressures that control the lives of others. It's remembering why you do what you do. That it's all for the glory of God and how you live a life pleasing to Him. It's not just because you want to be a better person or a better husband or a better wife. That's all secondary. First and foremost, our desire should be to please the Lord, to glorify the Lord. In other words, everything I do is going to go through the filter that says to me, what does God think? Will this please Him if I do this? Will this glorify Him if I act this way or say this thing or do this thing or go to that place? Does this draw me closer to the Lord? If not, then why in the name of Christian liberty are we participating in things like that? Again, this is moral excellence. If I'm adding to my faith godliness, then I'm not going to hang out with people who are always gossiping or complaining or always going to bring me down or always putting others down. If I'm adding to my faith godliness, then I'm not going to go to certain movies that are out there. I'm not going to go, you know, try some new bar and grill just because they serve some new alcoholic beverage. It's not going to be an option for me. Nor is it going to be a desire. Why? Because I want my life to be marked by godliness. Now, if you're seeking to live a godly life, then you'll seek to do the will of God. And as you do, it naturally will lead to brotherly kindness, which is the sixth supplement on the list. Verse 7, add to godliness brotherly kindness. It's a Greek word, Philadelphia, which certainly was a virtue that Peter, I think, must have learned the hard way. And when you think about the disciples and the Lord, so often he, the Lord would catch them debating and disagreeing with each other. In fact, we read in Luke chapter 9, verse 46, that a dispute arose among them as to which one of them would be the greatest. I'm the greatest. Are not. I am. Are not. I am. Am too. Are not. And Jesus said, okay, okay, okay. Who's the greatest? He picked up a little child, put them on his lap, and taught him this is what it means to be great in the kingdom of God, to be like a little child. But these they're arguing and they're disputing among each other. But here's the point. The Bible teaches if we love Jesus Christ, then we will have a love for the brethren. We're going to have a love for our brothers and sisters in the Lord. We learned that back in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22. We are told there to have a sincere love of the brethren and to love one fervently with a pure heart. Hebrews 13.1 says, let brotherly love continue. Peter calls it brotherly kindness. You know, you can say that you'll love your brother or you'll love your sister, but if there's not kindness there, if you're not kind to that person, then you really don't. It's not the brotherly kindness or sisterly kindness that Peter's talking about here. You're missing the message. Paul puts it this way in Romans 12.10, Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love and honor, giving preference to one another. Kindly affectionate. In fact, the Bible says in 1 John 5, 1 and 2, that when we love each other, brothers and sisters in the Lord in that way, it's evidence that we've been truly born again. 
You know, after pastoring for now over 23 years, I've noticed the most loving people are the ones that I see loving people, serving people in the church. It's not to say that those that aren't involved aren't loving. It's just that from my perspective, if I only see you once a week, it's kind of hard to get to know you. But here's my point. It's impossible to establish relationships in a church to have that brotherly kindness and love for one another if you, know, if you get here right before service starts and you leave before the last song is over. You need to hang out. You hang out, get to know people, and come just not on Sunday mornings. Maybe you hang, you know, come on a Wednesday. See, because we're 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 a family, and as a family, we enjoy each other. I enjoy. I look so forward to when we can meet on Sunday and just be able to talk with the folks and hang out. My my house. I mean, I have five kids. My wife has five kids, and they're all married. And 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 when they all come to the house, it's a blast. It's fun having Chris here from, from the Navy. It's, we're all together. It's great. It's great when they all go home, but, but it's also great, you know. Man, it's so much fun. And, and, and I enjoy it. I look forward to it the same way I look forward to, to being here on Sunday morning with all of you. And, and that's really the, the, a great thing, just to, that, that family, that, that brotherly love that we can have one for another hanging out with each other. And that brings us to our final supplement we need to apply, and that is the greatest one and that is number seven, love. Verse seven, and a brotherly kindness, love. This is God's agape love. Agape love is, is the love you see displayed on the cross. It's a sacrificial love. I love that, that, that the list of seven things ends with love. Uh, seven, it, it's a biblical number of, of completeness. You know, without love, we're not complete. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, 13, and now by faith, hope, and love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. See, how we need to not only have love for one another, but we should have love for all men. We certainly should have the love that Jesus had for the lost. Jesus loved the lost. He came to seek and to save those who are lost. And if we're one of His, if we've supplemented our lives with godliness and brotherly love, then we're going to look at the world the same way our Lord looks at the world. As a harvest just ready to be gathered, souls that are just on the verge of being saved, they're just ready and waiting for someone like you to come alongside them and share with them the hope of the gospel. You're going to have our Lord's heart in His eyes and His focus towards the world. You're going to have a love of God to please Him and bring glory into His name. You're going to have a love for your brother and sister in the Lord, and you'll generally have a love for the lost when you realize all that God has done for you, all that God has done for me. And as we supplement our lives with all of these seven things, virtue and knowledge and self-control and perseverance and godliness and brotherly kindness and love, the Lord will be faithful in bringing about spiritual growth. See, each one of these supplements lead to the other. Now, I don't want you to look at these as some sort of a list of promises. Well, I'll pick that one, but I'll leave that one beside, and I'll deal with that one, but not this one. No, they're all connected. You know, you see these... these uh, Patio lights they have now, they're kind of like Christmas lights. They're all connected, you know, in the same way. So you have faith. Well, that faith is going to produce virtue. You have that moral, excellent life virtue. That's going to lead to knowing God better. And when you know God better, you become more self-controlled. And when you're more self-controlled, you'll be able to persevere under the load better. And when you do that, then you're going to become godlier. And that then being godlier leads to a genuine care and kindness towards people and a sacrificial love. They're all connected. So you've taken all these supplements and you're taking them and you're taking them daily, day by day, and now you're getting stronger. That means spiritual growth is taking place.
place. Look at verse 8. Peter says, For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. The more we grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the more we stay committed to the state of God's Word, and the more we stay committed to loving our brothers and our sisters, loving the lost, the stronger we're going to become. It's the payoff. Weightlifters, they know this. The more you work out, you know, all of a sudden you, you, you look at a picture of you before and after and go, whoa, things have changed. Spiritually speaking, God will pour into your life and, and, and my life and give you more opportunity as a result of that to be used by Him. You know, we're told in Second Chronicles 16.9 that the, the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show Himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are loyal to Him. God's looking for, for loyal hearts, strong laborers that He can use. Because if you're loyal to the Lord, it will bring practical results in your life. If you're using the resources that God has given to us, the precious promises, if we're walking in the promises, putting into place these seven things the Lord lavishly supplies for us, then in God's mathematics, you're, you're adding equals His abounding. Again, verse 8. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. I like that Peter uses the illustration of fruit-bearing trees. You're like a fruit-bearing tree that has been planted in the most favorable conditions possible. You know, you, you dig down in that dirt and it just the soil is just, just full of fertilizer and just rich soil. It's not like Missouri. You just hit rock, you know. It, it, it's right there and, and, and you plant that tree and, and, and man, maybe it's by a river or creek and, and all of a sudden this thing just, just blossoms and you get just the best fruit from there. That's what Peter's saying here. If these things are, are yours and abound, your tree won't be barren. There'll be fruit. Actually, the word barren also means idle. You'll be either idle or unfruitful. In other words, the person that, that loves the Lord in this way and, and it applies these truths in their lives, you're just not going to be happy sitting around doing nothing, just happy you're saved. Oh, I'm so glad I'm saved. This is great. No, you're going to want to be busy serving Christ. I mean, that's the result of this. Now, in verse 9, Peter goes on to tell us that those who are not living their life to the fullest, you might say those that are not working out, well, they're, they're really out of shape. In fact, you know, they run out of breath just getting out of bed. I mean, that's what Peter's saying, spiritually speaking. If we don't, uh, you know, apply these supplements that God has so lavishly supplied for us. Look at verse 9. For you lack these things, you're short-sighted, even to blindness, and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Short-sighted means that they can't see the danger far ahead. Even to blindness means that they're living in darkness rather than light. You now, nutritionists tell us that certain diets that, that you, you take, certain foods that you take in can actually af affect your vision. I mean, we know that's true, you know, for people with, with diabetes. If, you, if you're always eating that sugar and you get the diabetes, it can eventually affect your, affect your, uh, your vision. Same way, if you're always just eating the junk food of this world, it's going to cause you to be more and more blind. You're going to forget you know, what he says, forgotten what he's cleansed from his old sins. It's kind of like you're now walking down the road with, with your eyes kind of squinting as you're walking. That's the picture Peter's painting. Someone trying to make progress while they're squinting. Eventually you're going to fall. Eventually you're going to stumble because you're only concerned with temporal things. 
But someone who's ever growing, ever expanding, adding and never content with stopping, they can see where they've come from and they can see where they're going. I like this quote from Warren Wiersbe. He says this, If we forget what God, do- God has done for us, we will not be excited to share Christ with others. Through the blood of Jesus Christ, we have been purged and forgiven. God has opened our eyes. Let's not forget what he has done. Rather, let's cultivate gratitude in our hearts and sharpen our spiritual vision. Life is too brief and the needs of the world too great for God's people to be walking around with their eyes closed. Amen. Finally, Peter says this in verses 10 and 11. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. What is the reward for training hard, for applying these supplements to our faith, for living for Christ to the fullest, an abundant entrance into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? What's interesting is this word that the Greeks used uh, for the term an abundant entrance. It it really uh, is used to describe an Olympic athlete who won in the Olympics. And he's coming back home, and he would be greeted this abundant entrance, they, they called it. The whole town would show up. There'd be songs that were sung and cheers that went up, and they would receive an abundant welcome. When I think of an abundant entrance into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, I can't help but thinking of a man like, like Chuck Smith, you know, just living his life for the Lord and, and all that God used him for, or, or a man like, like Billy Graham. And what an abundant entrance that he had and that must have been. But more than that, I think of men and women who, you don't know their names, but they prayed fervently for the crusades over all these years. Or they, they've served silently with no one even knowing them. And they're going to have this abundant entrance into heaven. See, it's not how, about how much you've done or how popular you became. It's about how faithful you were to do those things that God has called you to do. I think of our our dear brother, George Brankovich, who just went home to be with the Lord. Uh, I know that he received an abundant entrance into heaven. I've heard testimony after testimony at his funeral last week of just the things that he's done for the Lord. In fact, his favorite verse was this, 2 Corinthians 4.17, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Love that. See, all truly born-again Christians... We're going to end up in heaven. But our capacity to enjoy heaven is going to be based on our faithfulness to do that which God has called us to do here on this earth. I heard this great illustration about this. It goes like this. When we get to heaven, our lives are going to be like containers. We will all be filled to overflowing, but some will be the size of Dixie cups, some will be the size of 32-ounce supersized cups, while others will be the size of a 55-gallon drum. In the same way, all of us, we're going to receive crowns for what we've done here on this earth in serving the Lord. We're all going to receive crowns. Some are going to have no jewels on them, while others will have some jewels barely you can see, while others will be just covered in jewels. I want mine to be covered in jewels. Why? Because I want more than you. No, no, that's not what it is. (laughs) No, because I want to be able to cast down a crown full of jewels right before my Lord and say, it's all because of you. It's all because of what you did. I want that abundant entrance into heaven. It's all you, God. So do you want to have an abundant entrance? Then take the resources that God has lavishly supplied for you and use them. Put your faith into action. 
faith that leads to growth and growth that leads to practical results in the life and the service of God's people. I want to close with this story about a man who decided to go across the Atlantic Ocean. A lot of people have sailed across the Atlantic Ocean, no big deal, but, but, but this man, what made it so remarkable was that, that he was going to sail across in the smallest boat ever to attempt to cross the Atlantic Ocean. Only 13 feet long. Can you imagine? Some surfboards are 13 feet long. He called it Tinkerbell. His name was Robert Manry, and it took him 78 days. said that his rudder broke several times. He was washed overboard several times. And sometimes in the shipping lanes, it was so bad that he said, I could not sleep. I had to stay awake for several days because it was just too dangerous. He would take rope and bind himself to the boat so it would stay on it. 78 days later, he could see the shores of England. The only thing that was running through his mind is, I need a hotel room, I need a shower, and I need to sleep for a week or so. He was just so discouraged and so exhausted, so tired. But as he's nearing the shore, he noticed that there were 300 other boats sitting there to welcome him to the shore. And when he got to the shore, there were 40,000 people in a crowd cheering him on for making the journey successful. At that moment, he didn't think about how tired he was. He didn't think about how discouraged he was. He didn't think about a shower. It felt so good. Listen, when you stand in heaven, that crown goes on your head. You're never going to regret the hours that you spend in Bible study or prayer or sharing your faith or helping other people grow in their walks of the Lord or helping to build someone else. You never will. Again, 2 Corinthians 4.17, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding an eternal weight of glory. Finally, as we close, we've been talking about the things that God has given to us in this Christian life. Uh, but let me say this. If you're not a believer, you're empty. you got nothing. You're empty, and, and, and you need to take that first step. First step is coming to faith in Jesus Christ. And then He will provide for you everything you need for life and godliness. He'll forgive you of your sin. He'll write your name in His book of life. He will give you the assurance of heaven. He'll put His Holy Spirit inside of you to dwell within you, to to make you strong in order to live for Him until He comes to take us home. But you've got to answer that call. God's knocking on your heart and wanting you to turn from your sin and turn to Him today. Don't wait another moment. None of us know how long we have. Brother George went home immediately. No one knew. No one knew he had a problem. None of us know. So if, if, if what you need to know is you need to know Jesus. And if you don't, please, as soon as service is over, come up and talk to me. I'd love to pray with you and give you a Bible, let you know what it means to follow Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love and grace towards us. Thank you that the, the mercy you've shown us, Lord, in calling us and, and opening up our eyes to see our need for you. Lord, and, and for those of us that are born again here this morning, thank you for that, Lord. I do pray, Lord, if there's anyone here that is yet to give their heart and life to you, that they would not wait another moment. That they would say, Lord, I need you. I want you. Forgive me my sin. Come into my life. I know, God, you'll answer that prayer. So I do pray for anyone here that doesn't know you this morning. Father, we also pray that you would help us to Apply these, these supplements, so to speak, Lord, to faith and the virtue and the knowledge and self-control and perseverance and godliness and brotherly kindness and most of all, love. Lord, help us to live this life pleasing to you, always looking to you, Lord, looking through everything we do through the lens of will this bring glory to you. 
Will this lift you up? Will this point people to you? Thank you for your word, Lord, that makes all of this possible for us to know what it is your will is and to understand who you are. Now, Lord, I pray as we go our way, Lord, that we would walk in the power of your Holy Spirit, again, seeking to please you in all that we say and all that we do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.